and welcome to the next episode of the Women in the Word at Uni podcast. My name is Rachel and I'm excited to be looking at more of the book of Ecclesiastes with you today. Now this is the third talk in our series on Ecclesiastes. So far we've seen the main voice in the book, the teacher, in a search for meaning in life. In our first talk we saw the way that the end of life shapes the way we live now. Then last time we explored the question of how to live a well-connected life. I'm really glad you've decided to join me today as we journey through Ecclesiastes and find out how to live a wise and meaningful life. Do you enjoy going on rides at theme parks? If you go to the Echo, do you visit Sideshow Alley? Now, if you're listening to this and you're not from Queensland, just to clarify, the Echo is the name of the annual Brisbane show. You probably have an equivalent where you live. If you're a ride lover, what is it that attracts you? And if you're not a ride lover, what puts you off? I have to admit that I fall into the not a ride lover category. I'm okay with the more gentle types of rides, maybe even the mildly fast ones. But what I really don't like is the feeling of being tossed around at what seems like a breakneck speed. I don't like feeling out of control. But ironically enough, it could be the very things that I don't enjoy about rides that you might love about them. So do you enjoy the feeling of loss of control or are you a bit more like me and you really, it really makes you feel quite uneasy? Well, what about more broadly in life? How do you go when you don't feel like you're in control? Are you okay with it or does that make you feel uncomfortable? How do you feel when you get a bad grade on an essay? How do you feel when you fail a subject? And if you've never failed a subject, how does the thought of failing make you feel? What if your boyfriend decides to end your relationship? You have no say, he's made it clear it's over. Or you'd really like to be in a relationship, but there are simply no single guys you know who are in any way remotely the type of guy you would want to date. You can't just make a dateable guy appear. What if your parents split up? What if your dad moves out and there's nothing you, your mum, your siblings can say to stop him? What if your grandma is diagnosed with terminal cancer? What do you do when things happen that are outside of your control? Today in the book of Ecclesiastes, we're going to see what the teacher has to say about control and how to respond when we feel out of control. Let's read from the Bible, Ecclesiastes 9 verses 2 to 6. Now it's a great idea to have a Bible open in front of you so you can read along. Hard copy or electronic, both fine. We're going to be reading from Ecclesiastes 9 verses 2 to 6. And today I'm reading from the New International Version. Ecclesiastes 9, 2 to 6. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Here the teacher paints a picture for us, a picture which might leave us feeling somewhat downcast, a picture of the unpredictability of life, a picture of lack of control. You see, what this picture tells us is that no matter how we behave or what we do, we face the same fate. 
whether we live a good life or not, whether we do all the right things or not, we will likewise experience the same things. We will all experience the effects of evil and madness in verse 3. We will all experience love, hate and jealousy in verse 6. We will all experience death in verse 3. Doing the good things or the right things doesn't change that. We cannot control what we will experience by our behaviour. These parts of life are outside of our control. Stay in Ecclesiastes 9 and we're now going to read verses 11 to 18. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favour to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. There was once a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built huge siege works against it. Now there lived in that city a man poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom, but nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are no longer heeded. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Life does not fit the patterns we would like it to. The fastest person surely should win the race. We expect the strong person to win the battle. Wise people should have food. Smart people should be able to earn a lot. The poor yet wise man who saves the city should have notoriety, regard, esteem, due payment for his good work. But no, life does not work in the way we expect or in the way we might want, observes the teacher. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. He says in verse 18, life doesn't happen as we think it should. A lone sinner can undo all the good that someone else has done. Where's the justice in that? Where's fairness? Where's control? Well, it's not to be found. Again, verses 11 to 12, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. We are subject to unpredictable, unexpected, horrible events, and we just don't know when such things will happen. They are completely, utterly outside of our control. If we jump back to Ecclesiastes 8 verses 7 to 10, we read this. Since no one knows the future, who can tell someone else what is to come? As no one has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the time of their death. As no one is discharged in time of war, so wickedness will not release those who practice it. All this I saw as I applied my mind to everything done under the sun. There is a time when a man lords it over others to their, his own hurt. Then too I saw the wicked buried, those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this. This too is meaningless. We don't know the future. We don't know when we will die. We can control the timing of our death no more than we can contain the wind. It's out of our control. Life is outside of our control. And even those with power here on earth, those who lord it over others, those who are wicked and seem to get ahead in life, they die too. The people at the end of verse 10, those who receive praise in the city, well, they're probably kings. And this tells us that even kings, those in authority, they too will die. Even the greatest positions of human power offer no guarantee. They probably feel pretty well in control, right? 
kings, rulers, especially the dictators, the cruel leaders of the world. They rule without democracy. They do what they want. They have power and they exercise it in the most brutal ways. They live to control. Yet even they ultimately lack control. Even they will die. Even they cannot control life. This life, even for those who seem to have the most control, is ultimately out of control. They lack control, not because the world is spinning around subject to random forces of nature. They lack control because there is someone with control, but a control that is more powerful than even the most powerful human beings. They lack control because God is actually in control. Read with me chapter 7 verses 13 to 18. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy, but when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. Then if we jump down to 8 verses 16 to 9, 1, we read this. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the labor that is done on earth, people getting no sleep day or night, then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search it out, no one can discover its meaning. Even if the wise claim they know, they cannot really comprehend it. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, but no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. Our lives are in God's hands. We don't know what our future holds, whether we'll be loved or hated, whether we will experience good or bad times. We're in God's hands. What's more, we can't change what he has determined will happen. Verse 13 says, who can straighten what God has made crooked? So what we're seeing is this, our lives are out of our control. We have no control over them. However, they are under the control of God. Well, what do you think about that? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? How do you feel at the thought that you have no control over your life? How do you feel at the thought that God does? Well, perhaps it depends on your perspective on who God is. Is he someone you can trust with your life? Let's consider for a moment, what do we know about God? Let me take you on a very brief journey through the Bible to see what it tells us about God and who he is. Let's start with Deuteronomy 4.31. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors, which he confirmed to them by oath. Then Psalm 102 verses 25 to 27. In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them and they will be discarded. But you remain the same and your years will never end. Isaiah 30 verse 18. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. Jeremiah 32 verses 17 to 19. Ah, Sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show love to thousands, but bring the punishment for the parents' sins into the laps of their children after them. Great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord Almighty, great are your purposes and mighty are your deeds. Your eyes are open to the ways of all mankind. You reward each person according to their conduct and as their deeds deserve. 
And finally, 1 John 4 verses 9 to 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, there's so much more we could say about God, about who he is and how he acts towards us. But in this little skip through the Bible, we see that God is merciful, promise-keeping, unchanging, gracious, compassionate, just, powerful and loving. Does this sound like someone you can trust? Ecclesiastes is teaching us that we don't have control over our own lives. What's the alternative? Are we subject to random forces of nature or events? Are we at the mercy of those who've been elected rightly or wrongly to govern our country and make decisions on our behalves? Well, to some extent, yes, but not in an ultimate sense, because ultimately even they are in the hands of God, just as we are. They and we are in the hands of the all-powerful God who loves us and acts with our best interests at heart, who's just and will not ignore wickedness. Can you trust him? Will you trust him? Because the life of wisdom recognizes God as God and recognizes his control. Let's remind ourselves of Ecclesiastes 7 verses 16 to 18, which we read just a few moments ago. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. Fear God. This is not fear in the sense of being scared. Rather, it means to acknowledge him as God, to recognize who he is, and to stand in awe of him. Of course, that means not being wicked or foolish, not living in a way that shows disregard for him. But we also read that it means avoiding the other extreme, of being over-righteous or over-wise. Well, what does that mean? Well, just like the warning against wickedness and foolishness, This is also a warning against failing to fear and honour God for who he is. This is a warning for the person who might be trying to outsmart God. And it's a warning against trying to live a good life, but a good life as determined by our own standards and not by God's. You see, the person who masterminds a genocide, that person is obviously wicked, obviously showing disregard for God. So too the fraudulent businessman who knowingly intentionally falsifies documents and steals from unsuspecting customers. So too the athlete perhaps who's taking performance enhancing drugs. So too the person who employs international students and pays them less than the minimum wage. But so too is it a warning to the young woman who catches the same bus as you do to uni each day where she's working hard towards her social work degree. She can't wait to finish so that she can get out into the real world and help people. Her dream job is to work with women and children who are escaping domestic violence. At the moment, she volunteers in a nursing home one afternoon each week chatting to the oldies. She's a careful driver and never speeds. She might have the occasional drink here or there, but she's not into binging and getting wasted. She just doesn't see the point. She's never had sex because she really wants to wait for the right guy and the right moment. She wants her first time to be really special. Everyone likes her and she makes friends easily. She has some friends who she would describe as religious and she happily supports them in their pursuit of faith. However, she's just not that much interested in it for herself. She respects people of faith and thinks that there might even be a God. But right now her life is comfortable without religion and comfortable without God. 
And if God is real, she is confident that she's enough of a law-abiding, caring, conscientious person to pass his approval. You see, a wise life is not just a life lived well or a life attempting to do the right things, attempting to be wise. A wise life fears God. It acknowledges him for who he is. It acknowledges him as the one who is truly in control. It acknowledges that because he's just, he can't ignore wickedness. In fact, he can't ignore any failure to acknowledge him as God, whether that's by the genocide mastermind or the hardworking uni student. Indeed, the teacher acknowledges this problem. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20 says this, Indeed, there is one, no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. And then in the same chapter, verse 29, This only have I found. God created mankind upright, but they have gone in search of many schemes. And that's why he sent Jesus. That's why he sent Jesus, who actually took the punishment we deserve for all our failures to acknowledge him as God. He sent Jesus to make it possible for us to be forgiven and restored to a perfect, loving, never-ending relationship with him. He sent Jesus so that we could know him and stand in awe of him, the awesome creator of the universe, the one in whose hands our lives lie. The book of Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 4 say this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. The key to a wise life is fear of God, acknowledging him for who he is, the one who made us, the one who must judge us for our failures to honour him, but the same one who loves us so much that he will forgive us if we ask him to. So then the teacher in Ecclesiastes comes to this conclusion in chapter 9 verses 7 to 10. Go, eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labour under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for in the realm of the dead where you are going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. Here the teacher comes to the same conclusion as we saw in our first talk on Ecclesiastes 1-3. And that is that the end of life shapes the now. Death will come to us all. He affirms this in 7 verses 1 to 12, where he describes a wise life as one that lives in full knowledge that death will come. Jumping back to chapter 9, in verse 9, he describes life as meaningless. Now, he's not saying that life is meaningless in the sense that it's pointless or a waste of energy. Rather, he's saying that life is short, it's fleeting, it will pass all too soon. So, enjoy this life and the good things that God has given you, in the life that God has given you, and work hard in the work he's given you. When verse 8 tells us to wear white and anoint our heads with oil, the teacher's drawing on what in his day were symbols of joy and festivity. Go out and enjoy life, he's saying. Life is out of our control. It's short and fleeting, and during our lives, things happen that might not be what we would have chosen. But the teacher gives us two pieces of advice in response. Firstly, fear God. Secondly, enjoy life. 
And the teacher then seems to marry these two together in 8 verses 12 to 15. Although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, I know that it will go better with those who fear God, who are reverent before him. Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them, and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve, and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. So I commend the enjoyment of life, because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of the life God has given them under the sun. There is no guarantee in life that good things will happen to good people and bad things will happen to bad. In this out of our control life, sometimes good people are injured, treated unjustly, get sick, die. In this out of our control life, sometimes fraudsters live in mansions and men who abuse their wives drive Ferraris and get job promotions. But ultimately, things will go better for those who fear God because their eternal future is secure. For those who fear God and trust that his son Jesus died for their sins, there is life in the glorious bliss of heaven awaiting. So they can enjoy this life. They can take joy in the fact that God has given them work to do in this life. And they can be joyful knowing that when life feels at its most chaotic, they are in the hands of the great God who loves them and who is ultimately in control. Let's take a look at another section of the Bible. This is Philippians 4 verses 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now this is not telling us to just ignore or brush off the things that upset us, hurt us, or make us worried. The things that make life feel out of control but it is giving us a reason to find joy even in those times. It is telling us that in every circumstance we can come before God and tell him what is troubling us and know that he hears us. And when we do come to him, even though he might not take away the cause of our concern, he will give us peace. We can't guarantee that our tutors will give us good grades. You have no way of making sure you don't get a sinus infection the night before a major exam, which makes your head so cloudy that you can't sleep or think properly. No matter how good of a girlfriend you try to be, you can't control your boyfriend's heart and ensure he doesn't break the relationship. You cannot control your parents' marriage or guarantee your grandmother's health. But you can go to God. You can ask him to fill you with his peace in these troubling times. You can ask him to remind you of his goodness. You can ask him to take away the problem before you, but know that even if he doesn't, he is still good and loving and merciful, and he is still in control. When trouble comes, it can be all too easy, almost an instant response for many of us to question God and to feel like he's not in control. But this is the same God who this is said of in Romans 8 verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This is not a guarantee of a problem-free life, but what it is, is a guarantee that God will bring good from our troubles. It is a reminder that the God who is in control of all our circumstances can turn our chaotic seeming lives into good. And do you know what the greatest good for us is as far as he's concerned? It's that we be more like Jesus, his son, that we be more holy, 
So go to him and ask him to work this sort of good in you even as you go through things you would never have asked to experience and would never wish upon anyone. So what do you do when life is out of control? Go to the one who is in control. Go to the one who made this world and all that is in it, who still cares for it, who loves us enough to send his own son to die for us so that we can be right with him and who wants us to be more like him. Go to the one who can make even the worst of circumstances work for our good, that we be more holy, more like Jesus. Go to God, the one truly in control. Let's pray. Dear God, there are many things in this life that are outside of our control. Thank you that you are in ultimate control. Thank you that we can come to you trusting you that you care for us. Thank you that we can come to you because even though you must punish our failures to honour you as God, you spent that punishment in, on Jesus instead of on us so that we can be free to be in a relationship with you if we trust you. Oh Lord, please use the out of control things in our lives for your glory and for our good. Amen. If you have any questions about today's podcast or about what it means to follow Jesus and trust him, please email me at r-a-k-o-t-t-e-r-e-r at gmail.com.